Hallelujah. If hallelujah is the highest praise, if hallelujah is the highest praise, then what should your lips be saying this morning? Because our Lord, he's not, worship, he's not worthy of a low praise. He's worthy of a high praise. If you just think over your life last week, I ain't asked you to think about last year. If you just thought about last week and what God brought you out of, what he brought you through, and what he brought you to, if, if God has done anything for you, can you just fix your lips and just shout with me, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. He's worthy. He's worthy. I don't know about you, but my God is worthy of all glory, of all honor, and all praise. For he is great and greatly to be praised. If the Lord, the Lord has done anything for you, if he's done anything for you, if the Lord has done anything for you, just even now in the quietness of your heart. In the quietness of your heart, just consider the goodness of the Lord. He didn't have to bring you out. He didn't have to give you anything. But God being great in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved through faith. Because God has chosen to set his affections upon you. You have the extraordinary, the marvelous privilege to enter into his house of worship one more time. Just that in and of itself reminds us that God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our affections. He's worthy of my hand raising. He's worthy of my feet stomping. He's worthy of my lips praising. He's worthy of all of me praising his holy and righteous name. Amen. 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 Well, beloved, it's always a privilege and honor to be with you on a Sunday morning. I just want to say welcome to all of our guests and to the body, to this, this church gathered at Forest Baptist. It's because the Lord has saw fit 
said, keep our lampstand going. Keep that fire going. That's why we're here today. So we say, glory be to God. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be in worship one more time. And, and whatever the issues of life may be on you right now, Jesus says, cast your cares upon him because he's faithful. And he genuinely loves you. The scriptures remind us we love him because he loved us first. Before you was able to get yourself together, he loved you. Before you was actually to make a right decision to show up, he loved you. Before you was able to demonstrate any type of obedience towards him, he, he loved you. Just think about that. In a world where love is always predicated on one's ability, God loves you just because he wants to. So though the world may not love you like you think you should be loved, God always loves better than we deserve. And may he pour out his love upon us as we gather today in worship. Amen? Amen. Just want to continue to encourage you and keep before you uh, that we do meet at 9.30 on Sunday mornings for Sunday school. I want to encourage you to come out. We have uh, for those with children, we, ha- we have so many uh, teachers ready to teach and to love on your children. They're there waiting just on, on you to bring your babies. Uh, beloved, your, your babies can't get here by themselves. They need, they need somebody to drive them. I hope, I hope y'all ain't just letting them out, call an Uber and get to church by themselves. But, but, but if you bring them, we got someone to teach them. Uh, and also, I just want to encourage the entire body to... Uh, to be with one another as much as possible, to study God's word together. Uh, we live in a, uh, in, a, in a hard world. It's hard. But as the body gathers together, we're able to encourage and support to undergird one another in Christ Jesus. So uh, not only do we have the opportunities to meet at 930 for Sunday school, but all throughout the week we have our community groups meeting at various houses throughout the city on different days. Um, there's uh, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, uh, and even some Sundays, there, there's an opportunity for you to gather with the body of Christ outside of just this morning worship. If you only ate one day of week, where would you be? But we feel like we can do that spiritually and still be okay. We need to be connected to Jesus and to one another, so we have those opportunities. But this morning, let us turn our attention back to Revelation, Revelation, the third chapter, as we continue this sermon, this sermon series to the church. And in addressing these seven letters to the seven churches, Jesus is speaking both to the local church, the local churches in Asia, but also to the universal churches. So Jesus is speaking to us today. We would do well to listen, to heed him, and to obey. So this morning we examine the fifth of seven letters, this letter to the church in Sardis. So if you would, in honor of reading of the reading of God's word, please stand with me as we read from Revelation, the third chapter, verses 1 through 6. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ this morning. And to the angel of the church 
and Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will know at what hour I come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. The tag for this morning's text is simply letter to a lifeless church. Letter to a lifeless church. Let us go before our glorious Lord in prayer this morning. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do come. And our anthem is hallelujah. For you are worthy of the highest praise. For Father, there is no one like you. You are preeminent and you're prominent. You're above all. Your word declares that from you and through you and to you are all things. So, Father, we come this morning giving you our praise and giving you ourselves. Father God, I thank you for how you have kept us yet another week and allowed us the privilege to be in worship one more time. And, Father, as we come with the cares of this world on our necks, please give us grace and strength. Father, please provide space right now in the name of Jesus that we will hear your word and receive your word with joy and gladness. Please open blind eyes and deaf ears. Father, help us to love you like we should. And Father God, I beg and I ask that you would indeed pour out your Holy Spirit anew, that you would refill, refresh, restore, revitalize all of our lives. Father, would you please quicken dead bones and give life to the one who is far from you right now. Father, may we not be satisfied with a less than worship, but may we seek to be faithful to the life that we have been given through your Holy Spirit. Father, may your power rain down right now in the name of Jesus May you open up our eyes to just how you're moving and working right now, oh God. Father, whatever is on our mind, take from us right now if it is not of you or from you, oh God. Please make us students, learners, disciples of your word. Father, please take my weak words and use them for your glory and for your name's sake. Help my feeble mind to speak the mysteries of Christ Jesus right now. And Father, we do love you, and we will be careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all of the praise. In the precious and masterless and mighty name of Jesus the Christ, 
we do pray. And all of God's people said together, amen, amen, amen. You know, throughout the Gospels, we, we see the incredible impact of Jesus' spirit-filled ministry. Oh, my prayers that we would be a spirit-filled church. It was by the work of the Holy Spirit we see that Jesus went town from town, synagogue to synagogue, from, from nation to nation, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God to all those who was in desperate need of the gospel. We see Jesus moving about all throughout the, the territory. He is healing all manner of physical sickness and disease because of the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. We see Jesus moving and he is exercising authority over Satan and demonic oppression as he is casting out demons. We see Jesus commanding the winds and the waves. He is, he is exercising his authority all under the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he, is, he is moving within this spirit-filled ministry. On three different occasions, we see that Jesus raises the dead to life. He, the, the, the Spirit comes, and, and, and as he is praying for the people to, to, to a, a, a rise and to a, awaken, they come to life because of this Spirit-filled ministry. Beloved, to be part of the Spirit-filled ministry means that God has bestowed power, and life through his Holy Spirit. Beloved, it's, it's the Spirit of God that gives life, we, both physically and spiritually. In Genesis, the first chapter, we see the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters, prepared to give life physically. Uh, the reason why we can breathe this morning is because God has given us life. But not only does the Spirit give life physically, he gives life spiritually. In John, the third chapter, this is what Jesus is talking about. And he said, uh, that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. And just as the wind blows wherever it, it, it so chooses, so does the Spirit of God comes upon a person and gives life. So it's not because I just wanted to be saved, because in all actuality, none of us want to be saved. We all want to do our own dirt and do our own deeds and live for our own selves. But because of God, the Holy Spirit coming upon us, do we have life? See, beloved, understand, it's because of the Holy Spirit we have any type of life. It's the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit which keeps us near to the Lord. This is what David refers to in Psalm 51, 11, where he says, Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He knows that without the power of the Holy Spirit moving within him, he can do nothing. He has no power to operate, and he has no spiritual life. And, beloved, it is through the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives life to his church. In Acts 1 and 8, right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The heartbeat of God is found in a church 
where the Spirit of God is working through the people of God to impact the world for the kingdom of God. That's where, that's where, that's a church that is alive, where the Holy Spirit is working and moving through the people in order to accomplish God's will and his desires. That's the work of the church. To do anything other than the will of God, to, to do anything other than work for his kingdom's sake, we are wasting the life that God has given. What happens to a church when it wastes its life? When a church wastes its life, it begins to look on the past instead of the present for its confidence and confirmation. You begin to say things, oh, well, we used to. You remember how things used to be? Remember when we X, Y, and Z? And, and a, a church doesn't have life when all you can do is point on what you used to do. And you can't talk about what you're doing right now. A church has lost life when it has no impact upon the community in which it dwells. Where people just come in on Sunday morning and they leave. When a church has no impact on the area where it lives, that is saying to the community that Jesus is really not powerful and, he, and you really aren't doing anything. A church wastes its life. A church who wastes its life is seen by having no one receive salvation. There are no baptisms taking place. When a church wastes its life, the church sees a falling away of members because of their hidden sin. When a church wastes its life, a spiritual rigor mortis begins to set in. A, spirit, a, a rigor mortis of the soul where you are slowly dying and, 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 and you will soon be rendered useless. May it never be said so of this church. Because Jesus has filled his church with life, use your life to fulfill his work. That's the whole point of where Jesus is going in this text. Because Jesus has filled his church with life, use your life to fulfill his work. See, the church in Sardis had begun to waste their life, and, and they, they were on the verge of being rendered useless to the work of God. A little background on this church here is, 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 is at one point of time and time, this church in Sardis was really the, one of the wealthiest and one of the most powerful cities in the ancient world. This church, this city really stood out from all other cities at one point of time in their life. But we see that uh, uh, history tells that on two different occasions, the city was conquered and devastated because they were not keeping watch over a certain area of the wall they thought impregnable. So basically, the guard wasn't doing his duty, her duty. And outside forces came in and destroyed the city on two different occasions. You know, my mama has a saying that, unfortunately, I, I still kind of live by today. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. It happens twice where they're overrun because they're not keeping 
Watch. But not only that, this city in A.D. 17 was devastated by a huge earthquake. Complete devastation. Then the Roman government comes in and, and re relieves their tax burden and allows them to use the money to rebuild this city. But it, historians say this city had never got back to the renown that it used to have. It never regained its former glory. And just like this city, this church has seen better days. This church that was established was once a pillar in the community, in the region, but now it has it is, uh, lost its impact on the world and is really just going about its business like nothing is wrong. But Jesus says, I know your works. You act like you're alive, but you're really dead. For, for, for this church in Sardis, there's, there's no commendation. There's no, was you doing good here? And, and, and you taking care of business, you're standing up for doctrine. No, it's, it's all condemnation and correction. And when we look at the text, we see, given Jesus' words, there was actually no reason for this lifeless, lifelessness because Jesus had already given this church life. Here in verse 1, we see Jesus reminds them who he is. He is the one that has given them life. They didn't have to worry about propping themselves up, uh, uh, pumping themselves up, getting excited about the work of ministry because he had already given them everything they needed for the work of ministry. He says, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. You know, God has this divine, this heavenly principles, this principle that wherever God calls, he equips. If God has a job for you to do, he's going to give you every single thing you need in order to do the job. And as, as, as Jesus has called the church to himself, he's given them a job to do. Go, go ye therefore and make disciples. Go into, a, into Judea, into Samaria, into Jerusalem, and all the world. Go do some work, but before you go, I'm going to give you something. And right here, these seven spirits of God, remember, it refers to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has given a portion of himself to each of the seven churches. The seven spirits of God and the seven stars back in Revelation 1 and 20. We don't have to try to guess and, and figure out what the seven stars are. Jesus, he interprets this for us already. And he said the seven stars are the angels of the churches. So whether, whether you, you believe that there's an a, a angelic being keeping watch over the church and reporting back, or whether these are the pastors of the churches, Jesus has given the church the, the necessary two things it needs to do the work. Power and guidance. Power from the Holy Spirit and direction from the one who, who is over the church to lead and to give direction. God has given us every single thing we need for life and godliness. And in reminding them, he's reminding, and, and reminding them right here, he's saying, I have you in my hands. He's got the whole church in his hands. So, so that means that we're, we're never at a, at a point or situation where we're just all out there all by ourselves. When no one is on our side, it may feel like nobody is on your side. It may seem 
like the world is about to overthrow God's people. It, it may feel like there is a weight on you that you can't do anything about, but Jesus is reminding his church that I have you in my hand because he has all power in his hand. In John 16, Jesus reminds us just what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus is saying, when, because I'm going away, you're actually going to get something even better. You're going to get God himself living within you to empower you to do the work of ministry. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is Jesus making good on his promise. He's not just going to leave his children alone. And he does one better than just come and sit next to you. He says, I'm going to dwell in, within you and be with you and remind you just where I am, just how near I am, and my desires for your life. Jesus has given his church power and guidance. Beloved, just from that verse right there, we see that Jesus has given his people the direction they need to live right now. We don't have to wait on a word from God to understand how we should live right now. We don't have to wait and tarry, and, and we, don't, we, we don't have to sit, uh, sit in and hope that God will show up to give us a word. He has already given us everything we need to live right now. And when I say live, that means to live the Christian life. You don't have to wait on anything. What are, what are you waiting for? Well, I'm waiting until to, uh, uh, to clean my life up before I surrender to Christ. If you surrender to him, he cleans your life up. Well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of waiting on my situation to turn. You know that God is the one that changes situations and makes a way out of no way. Well, I'm kind of waiting for this door to open. Don't you know that God is the one who kicks down the doors? God has given you everything you need to live for him right now. There's no reason why folks should be dead walking around. We are not dead men walking. Live for Jesus now. And not only has he given us life right now, but we see how this church in Sardis has squandered what God has given. Jesus gives life to his church, but we see that Sardis loses their life as a church. The second half of verse 1, it says, again, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. We're going to spend a lot of time here uh, for, for, for the sake of understanding what we need to avoid. But understand, if Jesus is saying you dead, you dead. You know how, you know how we defensive when people confront us about anything? No, I ain't. No, Jesus said you dead. You dead. He's the giver of all life. And he says to the church, you are dead. What's going on? You know, coming from, coming from Detroit, uh, and, you know, known as the Motor City, but, but in, in some sense, it was almost like the gospel 
capital of the world for a minute, too. So many different churches with so many gifted people. If you, if you just think of some of the, the biggest name in gospel, many of those came out of Detroit, and they came out of certain churches, and a lot of times they have family churches. So there would be times, and I, mean, I mentioned it before, but there would be times where you would ask someone, well, what church do you go to? And they wouldn't say the name of the church. They would say, uh, they, they want to say, I go to perfecting church. They say, I go to the Winans church. Or, or they want to say, I, 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 go, I go to Greater Grace. They say, I go to uh, Bishop Charles Ellis' church. I go to the Clark Sisters' church. I go to uh, the Moss Family Church. And, and they will begin to attribute their church to individual works. This church in Sardis had begun to, to fall into a situation where they were not attributing their gathering to Jesus Christ, but to their own works. And this church in Sardis is really a, a case study on what happens when a church ignores the life-giving power of the Spirit and begins to walk in their own power. How do we know this? Jesus says right here, I know your works. They're, they're doing something. They're busy doing something, but what is this busyness all about? But he says, you, you have a reputation. Literally, in the text, the church in Sardis had, had built a name for themselves. Can you see it now? The church in Sardis was this, this, this beautiful church. They had all the nicest chairs. They had the, the nicest decoration. Uh, imagine a, a church full of activity. They had their own little coffee shop, and it was a, a, a busy and, and, and growing church. The Church of Sardis probably had their name on the, uh, the fastest growing churches in Asia. Their choir was probably banging. Everybody was, was coming and enjoying the choir. Uh, and surely they, they, their pastor was a tremendously gifted communicator. They... Uh, on Facebook, they would have had thousands of followers following their page, this church. But somewhere along the line, they found themselves doing ministry, but had forgotten why they were doing ministry. Beloved, how many of y'all know that uh, we can really make ministry about ourselves more than Jesus? Did you know that? We can actually make ministry about us and not him. We, we can make ministry about being busy doing stuff instead of being obedient doing what he's called us to do. We can get to a point as a church where we're just worried about where everybody else is doing or what ain't happening and what needs to be done and, and how, how we can do more work instead of being faithful to what Jesus has called us to do individually as a church. To go ye therefore and make disciples. It's easy to get busy, but beloved, Jesus is reminding this church here, busyness and faithfulness are not the same thing. Are you busy being faithful or are you faithful being busy? Are you truly walking in the calling that God has called you? Every single individual in this place who professes Jesus Christ as Lord, has a unique gift that God wants you to be exercising, not just for your own personal gain, but for the benefit of the entire church. And when we are not exercising our gifts, but really just wanting to be busy to look like we're doing ministry, we are failing to do the work of ministry. 
You know, it's funny, uh, my wife and I talk sometimes, and, and, and there, we, have, we have a chore list at the church, at the house. We have a chore list at the house. And, and, and there are times where one of the children, no names, don't want to call nobody out, but there are times where they may be in a room cleaning up, acting like they're cleaning up, but not really cleaning up. You know what I'm talking about because we've done it too. It's all this stuff around, and we come into the room, and we act like we're cleaning up. We, there's one little piece of paper there, but we forgot the sheets that's on the floor. We left the socks and the shoes, and we pick up the tablet, and, and we're kind of walking around acting like we're cleaning up, but we're really not cleaning up. Beloved, it gets to a point where our lives will be measured by impact and not activity. Don't just keep coming to church, walking around, acting like you're doing the work of ministry. Somebody asks you to do something, and you tell them, well, I got to pray about it. And you're you just walking around, acting like ministry. You got your Sunday best on. You show up, and just to, just to show your face, you know how you do. You really don't want to go somewhere. You show up. I just want to show, up, show my face. And then you leave, and, and, and all of a sudden, Ministry becomes about activity and not impact. Beloved, is your Christianity actually impacting others or does it just look like it? Can somebody else actually point to you and say, I thank God for them because they helped me grow in Christ, because they served in X, Y, and Z? Because they blessed my child as a teacher. Because they were, have been a faithful deacon. Because they, they, they look over the finances of this church. Can anybody, can people say that about your life? Or are you just busy acting like you faithful? Oh, this is, this is the warning. This is, this is the warning for Jesus. Don't act like you uh, uh, are doing the ministry. Actually do the work of ministry. Because we got work to do. But quickly, there, there seems to be something else going on here, something that's more subtle that we may not notice because we don't notice it sometimes here. It also seems like their, their busyness wasn't their only problem. There, there was this deeper, greater issue. See, notice in Jesus' words, there's, there's no mention of uh, imperial cult worship. There's no mention of the teachings of Balaam or the Nicolaitans, there's no, there's no mention of persecution. So, something's going on here. But in verse 4, at the first half of that, I think it gives us a glimpse of what may be going on here. It says in verse 4, Jesus says, Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. When Jesus talks about someone soiling their garment, see, see for, for those who know Jesus Christ and, and, and we will see him face to face, and uh, I, I love the song that we sing, I'm going to put on my robe and tell the story. We're going to put on these white robes and these glistening white robes. They don't have no type of detergent on earth that's going to make our robes as white as they're going to be when we get to glory. But what he's saying is that these 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 
white robes that you're supposed to be wearing have become dingy, have become soiled, like you've been playing in the, in the playground before you go to church. You know how in the morning the, the, the babies be rolling around on the floor before church? And you're like, you're not supposed to do that in your church clothes. It's, it's like we done sawed our church clothes in a sense. Something is going on here, and really what he's saying is that sin has stained your life, and you have not dealt with it. Somewhere in Sardis, there was some type of sin going on. Jesus doesn't mention it explicitly, but implicitly, there was something going on under the covers, and, and Jesus is reminding them that sin stifles the work of ministry. Why is it that we, that we can't be stained in, in, in our white clothing and be, uh, be about God's business? Well, there's a couple different reasons. When you got a secret sin issue, it tends for, to, to drive you away from the people of God, from the Word of God, and from the presence of God. It, it tends to keep you away when you're not dealing with sin in your own life. And in two ways, in one way, when we're just sinful, we lose credibility with the world, the onlooking world. So I can't minister to, to, to people outside the church because they're looking at your life and say, you ain't no different than me. There's no power in your life. There's no deliverance in your life. We hanging together. We in the car together. You driving. I mean, we just like the world. So there's no ministry impact. But then secondly, and more subtly, when we have a secret sin issue, it keeps us from wanting to serve. Because we're, we're guilt-ridden. We feel like, how can I tell somebody about this when I'm doing this? And sin just shuts you up. What Jesus is saying to this church, he's saying, there's some sin issues going on. And the reason why you're ineffective, the reason why you're dead in ministry and you're not fulfilling uh, the work of ministry is because you're not dealing with the sin in your own life. Beloved, may it never be said of us that, that, that we will lose credibility both inside and out because we're not dealing with our own sin issues. In 1 Thessalonians, the uh, fourth chapter, the third verse, like, this is an example. Jesus is talking about a life pleasing to God and in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, the third verse, he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. So he, he's saying the will of God is that you will be sanctified, that you will grow to look more like Jesus, that, that, that yesterday, uh, that you look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday. You're growing in sanctification. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, what? That you abstain from sexual immorality. He's saying when you are engaging in sexual immorality, it actually hinders you from growing in sanctification. Beloved, there's sin in our life that is hindering us from really loving Jesus. There's sin in our life that is keeping us from being sold out to Jesus. And we keep, we keep lying to ourselves, acting like, okay, once I deal with this issue, then I'm going to be sold out. No, beloved, it doesn't work like that. And praise God it doesn't work like that. It's actually the other way around. You say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. Now you will use me for the work of ministry. God wants to deliver you, not just so you can get over your sin and then come back to church and talk about everybody else who's still in their sin. 
He wants to deliver you so you can do the work of ministry to be effective and fully used for him. Ultimately, here in the text, we see Jesus want his church to live like the church and not act like a church. When people saw this church, they saw Sardis. They didn't see Jesus. Beloved, hard question. When you enter into worship here, do you see force or do you see Jesus? Jesus gives life to his church. Sardis loses their life in the church. But then thirdly, Jesus restores life in his church. Praise God that Jesus doesn't leave us in our mess. Verse 2, he says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember that then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. You know, Jesus gives this church a word of, of condemnation, but now he gives them a word for correction. He gives them a word to, to how, how do you turn this thing around? He said, I, I, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. You're not doing what I called you to do. There's some work you need to be doing that you're not doing. And you're being disobedient because you're not doing what I asked you to do. But instead of, but instead of just condemning them right at that moment, he gives them a, a, a chance to turn it around. And Jesus, in his grace, he gives the church five imperatives to restore life to his church. And the first thing he says, he just says, wake up! Hit your neighbor that's sleeping right now next to you. Wake up! When Jesus says, wake up, he's not talking about a literal, I'm sleeping and now I need to be wake up. He says, pay attention to your life. Have some sense of self-awareness. Pay attention to how you're living. Don't, don't be so busy with your life that you don't actually pause and examine what's going on in your soul. Do some self-reflection sometimes. Man, sometimes being just self-unaware, is, I mean, it's, it's the heart... It, it could be terrible. You just going about your life and you just completely unaware of what's really going on in your life. And, and on one aspect, family, that's, that's, that's the blessing of being in community with believers because we can have courageous conversations and we can uh, uh, gently but truthfully tell people their blind spots. That's what the body is for. But he's saying, wake up, pay attention to your life. That's, that's, how, that's how you get the, the blood flowing. That's, that's how you get things going. You, you need to pay attention. Be intentional in your Christian walk. Beloved, I can't pay attention to my Christian walk unless I lay out how I should be living in the first place. I, I have no standard. I, I, I can't measure if, if, if I never set a goal to read my Bible every day, then when I fail, if, if, if I've never set that as a goal, then I won't know where I am. He says, wake up, but then he says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. He's talking about, well, actually, 
Let's put these three together. Strengthen, remember, and keep it. How will they be strengthened? What do they need to remember? And what should they keep? Beloved, he's taking them back to the glorious good news of the gospel. He's saying, look back to the gospel by which you were saved and actually apply it to your life. The way you apply the gospel to your life is to actually stand before the king of the universe and say, you know what? I am a sinner in need of a savior. I, I, I do need to repent. I, I do need to say sorry. And I do need to press into you in order to live this life. I need to take your word and apply it to my life. That word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You're applying this word to your life. But then ultimately, the way back is through repentance. He says, repent. Stop acting like you got it all together. Stop acting like you haven't offended me, like you haven't offended Folks in the church, you need to turn around. Again, what we say about repentance, those four A's, you agree with God about how he feels about sin, you accept responsibility for your sin, you apologize for your sin, and then you make an about face from your sin. You, it's not just, my bad, <laughs> my bad. No, Lord, I, I'm, I'm sorry for not being a witness for you. I'm sorry for just coming to church all my life, and never serving anybody. Lord, I'm sorry that I have not been obedient to your mandate to go and make disciples and sharing the gospel with anyone. For life to be restored in Sardis, they must humble themselves and look to Jesus, because if they don't, if they don't humble themselves now, Jesus says, judgment is coming, and I'm coming like a thief in the night. Have you ever caught a thief in the night? Most times, no. So what he's saying is, while you all full of yourself and not paying attention because you sleep and not doing what you're supposed to be doing, I'm going to come. And this one is not the final judgment. He's talking about a separate judgment to this church. I'm going to take down this church if you don't wake up. Because... As the church, if you are not fulfilling our, the mandate to make, mark, and mature disciples for Christ, then why are we here? What is our purpose? We, we just like getting together on Sunday morning just to hang out for a few hours? There's a greater need. There's a greater work, and that is to make sure people are rescued from going to an eternity separated from the goodness of God. And we preach a gospel that is able to reconcile and to restore and to rebuild lives. And we preach a gospel that says, it's not about me, Lord. It's all about you. Jesus gives his people the correction that we need now to live. We have what we need. But, beloved, the pinnacle of this passage is this last few verses in verses 4 through 6. He says, yet you have still a few names in Sardis. There's still a remnant. There's still a few left. People who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus 
in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, Jesus, he finishes this letter to the church of Sardis with a, this, this is a word of confirmation. Because Jesus, is, he points to that book of life. What is that book of life? That is the book that, that, that has, metaphorically has the names of all of those who have trusted in Jesus. He's saying you, you, you'll receive eternal life. See, in Sardis, uh, under Roman rule, they, they would have uh, a, a citizenship registry. And on the citizenship registry, was a, it listed all the names of the, the citizens of uh, that city who belonged to Rome. But what would happen is, if you ever found yourself in trouble, almost kind of like a felon losing voting rights, they would take your name off of the, that, that register. They would take your name, and you are no longer a citizen. I don't know what you had to do to get it back, but there was always a fear that you could have your name removed from the register. But not only that, Sardis had a large Jewish population. And in the synagogue, if anyone ever converted to Christianity, they would have their names removed from the role of the synagogue. They would have, literally have their names taken out of the book. So what Jesus, he is going against and pressed against their experience. He says, well, the world may reject you because of me. The world may take your name off off their book. But let me tell you, those who conquer, those who overcome, those who are obedient and trust me and have not sold their garments, I got a book that their name would never be blotted out of. What he, he's not saying that you can lose your salvation. Oh, no. What he's saying is when I put your name in my book, you can have confidence that you will be guaranteed to have eternal life because can't nobody take your name out this book. Jesus saying those who, who, who persevere, those who are sold out, those who are doing the work of ministry, those who are like Paul, who's pouring their life out, those who are just giving of themselves for the work of ministry, you, you will never be ashamed. Your work and labor will never be in vain because your book, your name, will be written in the book of life, and you will have eternal life. But not only that, for those who were not ashamed to confess the name of Jesus on earth, he says, and I will confess your name before my Father and the angels in heaven. Can you imagine? Ha! Can you imagine the moment when we get to glory and those who've been faithful in Jesus? We, we worried about uh, uh, people all the time. We, we, tell, we tell people, get your name, uh, get my name out your mouth. But, beloved, when you get to glory on Judgment Day, you're going to want your name in Jesus' mouth. And Jesus said that he's not just going to call your name, he's going to brag on your name. And he's not just going to brag on your name in front of other folks like you. He says, I'm going to brag on your name before my Father and the angels. What he's saying, the greatest, the greatest audience that you can ever have your name bragged on, he will confess your name in front of God the Father and all the angels. He, your name. Your little name, you know where you came from. You from Newburgh. I'm from Inkster. It don't make no sense for, for Jesus to know my name. 
Beloved, I, I don't know about you why I came from it. It makes no sense of why Jesus would know my name. I don't have any type of posture or position growing up. Folks outside of Inkster don't know my name, but yet Jesus says, I know your name, and I'm going to brag on your name. And, and for all the haters and the folks that got your name in their mouth right now, it, we don't have to worry about what people say because when Jesus confesses your name, oh, what a day. Oh, what a day. What a day for him to call your name. It says you on the road. You made it to the by and by. You made it over that, that bridge of troubled waters. You made it to the land of no more. You made it to that, that place where there is no more cancer. There is no more death. There is no more despair. There is no more sickness and disease. There is no drama. He says, here, when I call your name, oh, that signifies you made it. You made it. Praise God that he's going to call our name. Beloved, there's, there's been many times in my, in my own ministry what I've made it about myself and not Jesus. And you, you'll know when you make your ministry all about you. Because when you make ministry all about you, that's when you complain about ministry. That's when you be frustrated about ministry. Well, they ain't doing this and they need to be doing that. That's when you make making ministry about yourself. That's when I make ministry about myself, when I find myself complaining. And if you ever, if you ever sought to be faithful to the Lord, there, there's always, there's been a time where you've complained about ministry, you've made it about yourself, and there's always times where we forget what a privilege it is to serve the Lord. We all fail, we all have fallen, but but Jesus says there's hope. Because just as he's speaking to the church in Sardis, he's speaking to us. And he says to us, wake up. Pay attention. Where are you at spiritually today? Don't keep looking past it like it'll get better by itself. But be self-aware. Where, where are you? Do you have a personal relationship with me? That's what he's saying. Do you know your sin issues? Everybody else just keep telling you about your sin issues. Maybe you should listen. He says, wake up. But then he also says, uh, look to the gospel. The good news about what God has done through Jesus Christ to save sinners like ourselves and repent. And when we repent, he is faithful to forgive us. See, for many, the answers for life and we've all been told, look inside yourself. The answers to life is to look to Jesus. We look to Jesus because he alone perfectly submitted himself to the Father. We look to Jesus because he alone died for our sins, stood in our place, and paid the price of sin. We look to Jesus because he alone rose from the grave on the third day, and we look to Jesus because he alone sits 
victorious at the right hand of the Father right now, and he is coming back for his people. Beloved, I just I challenge you today, check your vitals this morning. Are you spiritually dead or alive? Give up living for yourself and experience real life in Christ Jesus today. Because Jesus has filled his church with life. Use your life to fulfill his work. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word, for this privilege we have to break forth your bread of life. And Lord, I do ask that you would move upon our hearts in such a way that we would be convicted of our sin, but we would not uh, despair, we would not become hopeless, but that we would run towards you, we would run towards our Savior, that we would agree with you about how you feel about our sin, that we would accept responsibility for our sin, that we would apologize for our sin, and we would make an about face from our sin. Lord, may you save one today, one who's on the edge of their seat. They know they are spiritually dead, but Lord, we know that it is only you who give life. I ask that you would please breathe the breath of life into someone today. We do love you and thank you for the privilege and opportunity to gather to lift you up and to hear your word. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.